Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Wait, I have a question. How do they do that? Was that how it was all supposed to work? Okay, but why? In this podcast... I ask the questions, you get the answers. I'm Abby Eden. This is Abby Asks. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, Abby Asks, and we are going to be asking some very special guests uh, from the Black Mambas some questions today um, about their efforts to save rhinos. Um, It's something that... You know, I don't think a lot of people in the Midwest are really familiar with. We're very far removed from where rhinos are naturally. So um, one of you, just explain what the Black Mambas are um, and how did this group get started? Okay, who wants to go? <laughs> go ahead. You you start. You started the Black Mambas, correct, Craig? <laughs> you started this whole thing. the poachers did. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. The poachers started the whole thing. Yeah, so um, 2012. Uh, was when the rhinos started dropping on on our landscape. We we part of the Greater Kruger National Park, uh, um, sort of cooperative management model. So it's about three million hectares uh, of protected area. And uh, when the first rhinos started dropping, we were caught a bit with our pants down. You know, we, our security needs were were so minimal. We literally had one guy on a bicycle with a stick and a walkie-talkie. That was it. Mm-hmm. There was no security threat. And um, when we decided to to get involved and up the game. Now, this is not the first time that, that rhinos have been targeted by poachers mm-hmm. in, in sub-Saharan Africa. So there's been a lot of lessons learned in the past. Mm-hmm. And we thought, you know, rather than open up that rusty old toolbox and, and reach in and grab the same old rusty tools that we fought the battle with in the past, we need a different approach because it clearly hasn't worked. We've never put this problem to, to bed. Flares up again every now and again. Uh, and we went to the local communities and we asked, you know, is there an opportunity for us to employ young women mm-hmm. into this role as our early detection, first response, uh, information gathering, visual policing, you know, to tick off all of those blocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, the response was uh, mixed, actually, you know, from the tribal authorities and what have you, because it's not a traditionally female role mm-hmm. in the community. And there was a bit of concern that the primary caregivers would be taken out of the community and put to work, uh, you know, and, and leave a bit of and so on. But yeah, to cut a long story short, uh, by the time we had finished training up and deployed in 2013, uh, we were pretty much tripping over carcasses. Uh, you know, the problem just escalated. Wow. It just went from one or two a week to an absolute epidemic. Wow. And why women? Why did you think women would be the right fit for this role? Well, you know, they look much better in the uniform. <laughs> there's that. And then... Uh, <laughs> no, there's a certain, maybe I should qualify and say that the, the Black Mamba unit isn't um, a standalone unit, so you can't just uh, get away with having the bobbies on the beach because that's that's the, the model that we've got now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still need the other layers on top of that, the information gathering layers, the, the strategic deployment layers, and an armed response component as well. But the foundation of the pyramid, if you like, is the, is the ladies in the uniforms. The reason why we chose ladies to start off with 
is because this needs to build environmental patriotism if we want our parks to be resilient in the socio-political environment that we find ourselves in in sub-Saharan Africa and in most other uh, third world environments as well. But this protected area, it's surrounded by a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. The wildlife economy is benefiting a few. Uh, and there's historical issues around land ownership and what have you. Um, and we need to build environmental patriotism. The same way, you know, we've got these iconic species mm-hmm. that you don't find anywhere else in the world. And people pay a lot of money to come and see them. The people must feel proud, uh, take ownership. And all those other cliches, the same um, feeling that the French have to the Eiffel Tower. You know, right. and I right. always say, imagine you with, with all the poverty, and there's a lot of poverty in France as well. Mm-hmm. You know, why not melt that thing down at the scrap metal dealer mm-hmm. and give everybody 100 euros? You know, sure. they'll be able to feed their family for a week. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you can only do that once. Right. And then you've lost a massive industry and, and, you know, a big icon of your country is lost. And I want the people living adjacent to the national parks to generate that same thing. So by employing the young women, mm-hmm. it's a multi-generational investment because eventually, you know, when they go home and they interact with their kids and, do, and their peers and their family and whatever, those are all stories that they're telling about the cool animals and the wildlife and, you know, and this is my purpose in life and I've got dignity and, 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 and self-respect and so on. And they retire and they look after their children's children, you know, and it just ripples through the community, almost like you're little, like throwing a pebble into the pond and watching those um, concentric rings that ripples reach every corner of the shore mm-hmm. and that's the whole idea with the ladies there's also um, a lot to be said for the integrity of the women in the community and they also the primary caregivers the, to the elderly and the sick and the young animals uh, the goats and the chickens and so on and so on mm-hmm. it's uh, you know well you want to target that mm-hmm. sure and so goodness sergeant goodness pardon me she earned her sergeant stripes um why did you decide to become a part of the Black Mamas? This is not an easy job. Yeah, it's not an easy job. Uh, the reason I decided to become a Black Mamba, I can start by saying that uh, ever since there is lack of jobs in South Africa, uh, that too led me to do uh, this job. But not that only, but because... Uh, this thing started when I was in primary school, uh, where I used to go to wildlife colleges and learn more about uh, nature. So I think it's where it started. And when I come to the high school, uh, there was this teacher who was uh, taking us to wildlife colleges and learn more about uh, this thing. So I started to have interest there. So immediately I hear about this opportunity being advertised that they want uh, to empower young women. So I just uh, decided to grab this opportunity and try uh, my luck. So it's where I started to become a black member. Though it is not easy, but because it's our daily job now, I think we're used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're used to the danger. You know what to do. Yes, we know what to do and we know what to, how to handle the situation when you come across uh, some danger. Mm-hmm. Though we come uh, across some critical uh, condition, but not always. Mm-hmm. Now we're used to it now. How many black mamas are there? How many people do you employ? We've had three intakes actually. So okay. you know, to, to to demonstrate the project because people are very old school mm-hmm. down there, and anyway, so oh, this is a military problem, we need to throw a military mm-hmm. solution at it. Um, 
and you know we argue that we've been through this. We're not going to shoot this problem off the landscape, uh, and it creates even bigger problems. Uh, you know, and it causes this rift and this divide and different values and blah blah blah. So they said, okay, fine. Prove to us that it works. So we took six young ladies in the beginning, mm-hmm. trained them up and deployed them in a 10,000 hectare section. Mm-hmm. And the success was over- overwhelming. Everybody wanted to make mamas. Mm-hmm. We had another intake of 20 after you were in the second intake, thank goodness. Yes. Um, yeah. And then after that, uh, a piece of tribal land in the north became part of the protected area landscape. So then we reached out to them as well and said, you know what, let's, let's deploy a black mamba unit there from your community as well. And we took on another 10. So, you know, we ended up with 36 mm-hmm. young women on the landscape. Since then, quite recently, actually, we've started to um, specialize. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a canine unit now that operates exclusively in areas where we need dogs to operate. And uh, they're detection dogs, so they detect for, for our products and weapons and so on and so on. Okay. Um, we have an education component with the 13 primary schools, 1,300 kids mm-hmm. at the moment, so they're interacting. So there's that unit as well mm-hmm. that primarily focuses on the community outreach and interacting with the kids. Uh, and then there's the perimeter patrol and defense teams. Oh, and then, of course, there's the operations center. So they run their own operations center 24 hours a day. Wow. Where everything is tracked and monitored. So we've sort of specialized, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Yeah, I, it's it's really fascinating. Uh one of the most fascinating parts to me is that you are not armed. And explain why that is. Uh, the reason we are unarmed is that we are not there to kill anybody. We are just here to raise a awareness, to, to let people, it's like we are trying to send a message without any without fighting with anybody mm-hmm. so i think people understand this language because since we are there uh, the coaching has become uh, low mm-hmm. the the number of coaching has become low so we are there to to make people aware we are not there to fight with anybody because we don't want to left kids with a with a we, we don't want to left uh, widows into the communities mm-hmm. and kids with without fathers. So we want to make sure that uh, we protect these animals without uh, killing anybody. Yeah. Like those people, they are our, our brothers. We might not know them, but they are our bad brothers from uh, our communities. But isn't that dangerous? I, and even just, you know, to have protection against the animals out there who could hurt you. Well, it's a it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword. So you know the 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 question around whether we should deploy weapons or not. Mm-hmm. This this model is pretty much the, the British policing model, where you've got the bobbies on the feet. They're unarmed, but they look smart, and they're in the public. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a public interface. Sure. So it's it's a, um, our risk avoidance model mm-hmm. deploys the black mambas in areas where they will be visible. Mm-hmm. So it's visual policing. And they will detect an incursion mm-hmm. uh, through a boundary fence or whatever it might be, and gather information. So we're using the the, the weapons that they have are actually their eyes and their ears, mm-hmm. and the, the fact that they look smart and they disrupt the landscape at nighttime in vehicles with spotlights and mm-hmm. so on. So it's a deterrent and an early detection tool 
And we have to be cognizant of the fact that when they go back to the community, it's the same community from which the coaches came. Mm -hmm. Their kids have to go to the same schools and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, we can't create role models in the community if they have the stigma attached that they're creating orphans and widows. Sure. Uh, So we would rather have the, the young kids say, Wow, I'd, 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 I want to wear that uniform. I want to work in this massive national park mm-hmm. and be part of the wildlife economy rather than say, gee, I'm not going to school because I can have a BMW and a flat screen TV at the age of 16 if I just go and shoot a rhino or an elephant. Right. Because the, the poacher has become the Robin Hood right. kind of uh, attitude, you know, and I'm the sheriff of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The members have helped switch that around. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be a member when you drive into the community, they will shout, mm-hmm. Salt, Salt. You know, oh, and they, awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> it is so cool. And the the kids brag about them at school, uh-huh. and there's no animosity. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're invited to all the tribal functions, so they're they're high profile. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're featured newspapers, and the president of the of the country invited them to do a guard of honor when he visited the national park. Wow. And, you know, so it's a high profile. It's creating role models and so on. Now, there's also a psychology around carrying a weapon, mm-hmm. and you know, we don't want young mothers to go home and tuck their children into bed. We don't have the same safety nets that you might have mm-hmm. in this country, you know, if somebody uses their weapon in self-defense or mm-hmm. to, to execute their job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no safety net. So that psychological baggage will mm-hmm. go back to the community, go back to the family, go back to the children. And when they go back home and they read stories to their kids and door slams, they don't want to see them tucked up and rolling. You know? Sure, sure. And what have you. Sure. It's, uh, you know, they're beautiful people. they beautiful mothers, they've got beautiful children, and we would rather they tell stories about the wonderful elephant experience that they had, where they sat at a water hole and the lions came to drink and so on, rather than, your mommy is G.I. Jane. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, and how, I mean, you're smiling. I, I see you smiling um, when Craig is talking about how you are regarded in not only your community, but in the country as a whole. How does it make you feel to be a black mama and to have kids say, Man, she's awesome. <laughs> uh, it makes me feel like a star because now that everybody uh, wants to become a black mamba, mm-hmm. it has made me realize that, oh, this thing that we are doing, uh, it's really good mm-hmm. because now that everybody wants to do it. So at the beginning, I never thought it would uh, come to this uh, far, but we have made it to this far because we were working very, very hard to come into this point. Mm-hmm. So I, it makes me feel special anyway. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the whole reason the Black Mambas exist is uh, to save rhinos from being poached. Um, the only natural predator is humans, correct? Uh, and you guys have been very successful at that, but obviously there is still a problem with rhinos being poached worldwide. What what is driving what is driving this poaching? Yeah, so it's it's true that the the Mambas were formed during the rhino poaching crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that the Mambas taught us was that we we actually had a much bigger poaching problem than we than we even could have imagined in our wildest dreams. You know, so that first little team of six that I spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. when they swept through the area, we discovered that we had such a big bushmeat problem, snares, you know, these wire snares that the poachers set, right, yeah. which are indiscriminate. Mm-hmm. You know, it will kill a rhino, but it will also kill anything else that walks into it. Sure. And it's a, it's a terrible, terrible way to kill an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually suddenly realized that we're losing more animals to wire snares mm-hmm. than we are to purchase bullets. And 
and to clarify for people who are listening who aren't familiar with wire snares, this is something that basically injures an animal and leaves them to die in agony. Correct. Correct. That's okay. right. And it's, you know, we call it now the wall of death. It's like a gill net. If you've heard of gill nets in the oceans, mm-hmm. you know, and they yep. just drift and sometimes they break free and they drift forever. You know, they have a massive lifespan and they just keep going and kill everything mm-hmm. in its path. And the same with snares. Poachers will set a wall of snares mm-hmm. that uh, it's inevitable that every animal that moves in that direction will be captured. Mm-hmm. And they forget most of them. And sometimes we'll, we'll have to dart and remove a snare from an animal. And that snare's probably been in the bush for 10 years. Oh, my gosh. You know, forgotten. Right? Wow. Nothing rusts out there. Just, I mean, right. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know? So snares can ask you. Uh, I can't remember the question. What was the question? Well, so we were talking about uh, poaching of rhinos and why it's such a problem. But then you also started talking about other poaching problems. In Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So what is driving it? It's, it's um, you know, everything. It's like a matrix. So mm-hmm. the, the rhino... Poaching is driven by um, mostly by Chinese traditional medicine mm-hmm. and also a new market that's formed in Vietnam. Okay. Which is more ornamental, status symbol kind of thing, you know. Put it yeah. on your mantle. Absolutely. Okay. And if we if we think back to I think it was 1994, 1996, I can't remember, I think 90, when WWF petitioned the traditional Chinese medicine council mm-hmm. uh, to use the Saiga antelope that was I think they numbered about two and a half million in those days on Mongolian steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, use the horns of that antelope mm-hmm. as a substitute for rhino horn. Mm-hmm. It was agreed. Okay. However, within the same year, the Sega antelope was poached or, or hunted or exploited mm-hmm. to almost extinction. Oh my so goodness! So it's an insatiable market. Uh, and now the focus is switched back again. And the, the, the previous round, in the 80s and, and early 90s, when the rhinos were targeted uh, almost to extinction, mm-hmm. was the, the Yemenese market. And what saved the day there, that was with um, dagger handles, uh, you know, the right passage that the, the young kids, uh, the little boys, when they grew up, you know, they got a dagger with a rhino horn handle and what have you. And that was a, that was a big uh, consumer of, of rhinos, mm-hmm. the rhinos' horns, the big drive of the poaching back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the economy shifted. There was a change in the economy. And the oil was discovered. It suddenly became part of the, uh, the global oil market. And, you know, and, and it was all about bling and Ferraris and things. And sure. Luckily, the rhinos were given a reprieve there. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, it's hit us again. The landscape has changed. There's cell phone coverage all over the show. There's mm-hmm. no hard boundary anymore between Mozambique and South Africa and Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. You know, post-apartheid, those fences are down. There's treaties signed, tourists can move to and fro across the borders. Wonderful, so it's a massive open landscape, mm-hmm. but it also means uh, a loss of control mm-hmm. over insurgents and so on. There's many more uh, access points mm-hmm. into the national park now because it's it's got this new tourism focus. The management of the park switched to more tourism than security. We didn't have military presence that we had in the past during the, the conflict era in sub-Saharan Africa, if you remember, we had civil war in Mozambique and in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were hard boundaries that were patrolled every day by the military. So all of that's gone. So it's pretty much an open landscape for poachers. Mm-hmm. And where we try and measure our success is not on how many rhinos died or didn't die or how many poachers were put in jail and so on and so on. We, we look at a number of statistical models. So I can tell you now that the, the bushmeat industry has been pushed off the landscape. Okay. Almost 100% success there. Wow. Where we've employed mambas, if you find a, a 
why a snare in the bush? Mm-hmm. It's a miracle. It's it's like a treasure hunt. You know, wow. I, I defy Indiana Jones to find a why a snare there. <laughs> that's so great. That's, the, <laughs> that's awesome. It is. <laughs> and then you know when we started, the poachers had a twenty-four hour window in which to operate, mm-hmm. and, and they had control of the landscape. They could camp on the landscape. They could, mm-hmm. you know, if we found a poacher's camp, they'd been there for ages. The pile of ash uh, in the fire pit was weeks old. You know? Sure, they camped out there. It was yes. home. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Now, they squeeze. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the resources to patrol around the clock. Mm-hmm. They have a morning patrol and a, and a nighttime patrol. And we deploy at the most strategic times. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we know we're just going to displace the poaching activity, either temporarily or spatially. So they now have about four hours. Mm-hmm. It's become a snatch-and-grab operation. Wow. So they have to get in and out. That can't be easy to do. No, look, they still succeed, but certainly not at the same rate that they were in the past. Right. Because that window is closed for them. We have a number of other ways that we evaluate the success. Mm -hmm. For example, the traditional medicine that a poacher will carry, because you'll first go to a a traditional healer, we Mm -hmm. call it a witch doctor, you know, in our terms, and get blessed, and they will carry these little trinkets. And and this was talking about the matrix and how this causes this... Um, social and moral decay in the community. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, the traditional healer that used to be a go-to guy for for ailments and what have you is now actually blessing you to protect you against bullets, make you invisible to law enforcement, help you dodge, wow. you know, and what have you. So his world's changed. He's capitalizing on it, making money out of it. Sure, sure. Um, also, the the bits and pieces that he's that he's using will be a, a foot over this and a horn over that and an mm-hmm. eyeball of this and you know, right. <laughs> all these kind of things. So that's where the bushmeat industry. There's a lot of disposable income in the community now, and so people can afford more people can afford to buy bushmeat, which is why we saw an escalation in in bushmeat poaching as well. So everything is so interrelated and right. interconnected and so on. But by by looking at the 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 the, um, the muti, we call it muti, which is a traditional medicine okay. that, that a poacher will have on him when we do intercept the poachers, mm-hmm. we can tell that they are under pressure from detection. They under Time pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be invisible to black mamas and so on. Just based purely mm-hmm. on the on what they're uh, carrying with exactly, them. The traditional medicine that they're carrying. Whereas in the beginning, they just walk around. They didn't care. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I. Uh, you know, I think uh, so one thing that really sticks with me is um, that you said that that you're all part of the community. It doesn't matter even if even poachers are part of your community. So do poachers' goodness make you? angry or are you understanding of, of sort of the position they're in to try to provide money etc for their families um, how do you feel about poachers uh, it makes me feel angry sometimes but sometimes I do understand their situation where they are coming from because they want to provide for their families but on the other hand I feel sorry for the animals mm-hmm. so I think what they are doing is not right. right yeah I will not side with them because it's not right for the animals because mm-hmm. even the future generations will want to see those animals that they are killing mm-hmm. and we only we live because of these animals mm-hmm. and now they want to destroy it mm-hmm. because some of them I think they kill uh, those animals for the show of some they want to be rich, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they want to be rich because of the, the money that is coming from the rhino homes. Mm-hmm. Because they get much, uh, more money from uh, rhino homes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so 
people are going to get the opportunity to watch a documentary about you on Thursday. Um, what do you hope people learn about about the Black Mambas as they are watching this documentary? Hmm. That's a good question. Think of that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the whole reason you did it, right? <laughs> Suddenly, I have to dig deep. No, it's um, you know, for us to try and raise awareness mm-hmm. around the world mm-hmm. about the problems, you know, when when people from the northern hemisphere are the, the biggest contributors to the wildlife uh, economy, mm-hmm. the wildlife industry down there, they're looking into game lodges, they're buying hunting permits, whatever it might be. Uh, it's the American people, it's the European people primarily, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll trickle from the Australian continent and can't forget that. Sure. You know, so I can't say Northern Hemisphere anymore, but, <laughs> you know, so we want those people to understand that when you book into your five-star game lodge or you go on your safari, whether it's consumptive or non-consumptive, mm-hmm. please be aware that there are people running around working around the clock mm-hmm. to make sure that you have that experience. Mm-hmm. Because it's touch and go at the moment. You know, at the rate that we are hemorrhaging elephants and rhinos and, and other animals, we don't have much time left uh, for people to enjoy the big five landscape. Wow. These, the, the role that these women play in the community, I want people to understand that this is not going to be shot off the landscape. Mm-hmm. We're not going to win this with guns and bombs. We're mm-hmm. going to win this with hearts and education. Mm-hmm. That's where we've had our single biggest impact is when the chief invites an anti-poaching unit to a guard of honor or to march on his behalf and do a parade, you know, in, in his honor and what have you. That's when people start building environmental patriotism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I would desperately like for people to start considering mm-hmm. are the consequences of militarizing national parks mm-hmm. in an African context or any other third world context. The consequences of tipping the scales, uh, you know, where you will now have a, a militant community on your border and an anti-poaching or your field ranges are, are soldiers instead of conservationists. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a shift in values and what have you. This is something that we seriously need to consider. There was a big move to militarize national parks when the poaching threat started. Um, it's going to leave your park vulnerable and it's going to leave your entire uh, park isolated or alienated or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. from the, the people who actually own the land and and uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, with the Black Mamba unit, with the, the women, the primary caregivers become the role models. It's a non-confrontational kind of role that they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a lot of respect for them in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want people to think, think to themselves, could I get away with just having the militarized model or should I not also have these three tiers like we do on our landscape to make sure that I've got these ambassadors bridging that gap between the community and the national park? Sure. That's wonderful. Uh, what do you hope people in the United States, goodness, understand about what you do every day? Uh Sure. Uh, so, what is the message that you hope um, you can tell people here in our country about what you do as a Black Mamba? Yeah, I would like to tell them uh, that uh, we are out there patrolling to protect uh, to protect our heritage 
so that when they visit uh, into our country, they will have a chance to see uh, animals that are not caged. Mm -hmm. So they will uh, go into a game drive uh, freely walking, uh, uh, freely uh, seeing those animals. So we are trying by all means to make sure that uh, we protect those animals for them when they come to South Africa so that they will uh, be happy. And because when they are happy, we are happy too. Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time to talk to us. Um, if people have more questions about the Black Mambas, uh, what's a website or, or where can they go to find out more and perhaps even donate? No, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I have to add, if you don't mind me yeah. saying so, mm -hmm. that one of the things that legitimizes the Black Mamba mm -hmm. program is uh, the the South African government through through the South African National Parks Authority. Uh, give us 30% of the funding wow. for the Mamba. So I think that the South African government has bought into the model. They understand the mm -hmm. significance of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I'm not advertising on behalf of the government. I just think that it, it legitimizes us to a large degree. The, the other 70% we have to raise right. for the fuel and the uniforms and, and you know, the, the, the staff rations and whatever. It's a massive machine. Mm -hmm. So um, we have got a website. It's uh, Black Mamba's I actually have no idea what it is. <laughs> it's WWW. Just Google Black Mambas yes, and you're exactly. gonna you're gonna come across them. Uh, they have their Facebook page, they have their Twittery thing going on. A terrible <laughs> social media. Well, it's a good thing you've got the ladies to help yes. you out with that. Uh Tram, did you have any questions? Oh, blackmambas.org. Okay. Uh, awesome. And then yes, but because we we must remember we we have uh, a long-term relationship with the Kansas City Zoo. Uh-huh, um, yeah. You know, which is actually why we're here. That's right awesome. Now. And for the last three years, the zoo has been very good to us and mm -hmm. uh, supported us in a number of things, from upgrading the, the pickets to make sure everybody's got water and, and electricity at the picket sites where they stay when they're in the bush, uh, to keeping vehicles on the road, to, to assisting with equipment purchases and early detection technologies and whatever. So the zoo has been like really good to us. And we would like to encourage people, if they do want to donate, mm -hmm. Because we sit in South Africa, mm -hmm. it would be um, probably more streamlined mm -hmm. uh, and there's a higher level of accountability if you donate via the Kansas City Zoo. Through the Kansas City Zoo, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so it just shows the world the world is much smaller than we think it is. Um, here we have this connection here in Kansas City already um, to South Africa uh, that's already in place and to the rhinos there. And um, so happy that both of you guys could be here today and uh, tell us more. And there, I mean, there's we seriously just scratched the surface. So we appreciate both of you being here. Go to Cinemark on the Plaza and check out the documentary uh, as part of the KC Film Fest. So thank you cool. both. Enjoy. Thank you. Have fun in Kansas City. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>